bootlegging booze. Premium alcohol beverage sector is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. How BC customers are losing out with much better deals in Alberta. Shut out of a school field trip. I have a child that deserves to be included in these kind of things. Parents fight for a young girl who feared being left behind until Global News got involved. And how a pig named Barbecue protected the farmyard from a bear. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. BC private liquor retailers say they and consumers are getting hosed by the province's huge markup on booze. As Richard Zisman reports, the private stores say they just can't compete with Alberta-based online liquor sellers whose retail prices are below BC's wholesale costs. It's 20s-style bootlegging, but unlike a century ago, this is happening out in the open. This is the Lafroig Quarter Cast, one of my favorite whiskeys in the world. This is about $110 in British Columbia. Right now online in Alberta, you can buy it for $72. Instead of purchasing high-end liquor and wine from BC shelves, customers are having products sent directly to their BC doorstep from Alberta. If you start getting foreign products out of Alberta cheaper than local products, you're going to see the market start to flip uh, and move back to places like Napa and Bordeaux and Burgundy rather than, uh, you know, a Soyuz, Caramillos and Kamloops. BC is one of the most expensive places to buy alcohol in Canada, Alberta one of the cheapest. Both the markup and taxation systems are different and shipping costs are relatively low. They can literally purchase it as a consumer cheaper than we as a licensee can purchase it here in BC. For example, a 10-year-old bottle of Ardbeg Scotch, $112.99 a bottle in BC. In Alberta, $79.99. Wild Comet Tequila Blanco, $182.99 in BC, $124.99 in Alberta. Bordeaux wines impacted as well. A Saint-Emilion, $200 in BC a bottle and $165.99 in Alberta. But it's not just an industry problem. A high percentage of the sales price is tax, meaning every bottle bought on the other side of the Rockies has an impact in BC. The BC government is losing out on tax revenue that it needs to fund its priorities here. So this is a serious problem and it's gotten worse for the last couple of years. The BC government says that buying foreign produced products, shipping them across provincial boundaries for personal use is against the law. And now we'll be working with Alberta to determine the next enforcement measures. The Solicitor General uh, neither sees to start enforcing the laws of British Columbia or start uh, adapting uh, the pricing of, of uh, these uh, liquors so that we're not seeing that, that bleed off uh, to the Alberta. The industry trying to figure out how big an impact this is. Rough estimates pegging it in the millions of dollars a year, meaning that bleed not just impacting those buying expensive bottles. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A Metro Vancouver mayor is pushing once again for a dedicated police force for BC's ports, hoping to cut the flow of drugs, firearms and stolen vehicles. As Grace Key reports, Delta's George Harvey says the underfunded Canada Border Services Agency simply doesn't have the resources to stop the torrent of illegal trade. 
Last week's drug seizure announcement is bringing renewed attention to the lack of a dedicated police force at the ports. The Canada Border Services Agency announced its single largest methamphetamine seizure to date. More than 6,330 kilograms of meth hidden in canola oil jugs, all headed to Australia. I have nothing but respect for the CBSA staff and officers. They do a tremendous job with very little funding. Uh, they're only available to do a significant, maybe up to one, two or three percent of the containers that are moved into the port and moved out of the port. And so my concern has always been since I became mayor is that we, just, we desperately need port police. There used to be a dedicated police force for the ports, but in 1997, the federal government eliminated Ports Canada Police. The issue was highlighted in a 2019 provincially commissioned report on money laundering. The disproportionate number of luxury vehicles not recovered by police is compelling evidence of organized vehicle theft ring stealing cars for export overseas. And with no dedicated police presence in the post-9-11 world, this is a serious gap in our law enforcement umbrella. The report compares the Port of Seattle Police Department. It currently has about 130 sworn officers to police SeaTac Airport and the Seaport. We know that fentanyl is coming in, uh, illegal weapons are coming in, stolen cars are going out, and other items. It's time, especially with the announcement for doubling the port volume and doubling the size of the port, it's time now that Canada reinstates some form of significant police presence at the port here in Delta and also in Vancouver. He and the Delta Police Chief plan to visit Seattle next month to get a better understanding of its dedicated port police. Grace Key, Global News. And in a statement late this afternoon, the Port of Vancouver says it coordinates security with 29 law enforcement and regulatory agencies, including local police and the RCMP. It says it's invested millions of dollars in security, including more than 600 security cameras and a fleet of patrol boats and security personnel. A man has been convicted of manslaughter in the death of an off-duty Abbotsford police officer in Nelson three years ago. 55-year-old Constable Alan Young died in hospital five days after being struck in the head with a skateboard in July of 2020. The court heard how an intoxicated Alex Wilness was causing a disturbance outside a restaurant when he was confronted by Young, who was having dinner with his wife. The judge denied Wilness's claim of self-defense. He'll be back in court August 14th for a pre-sentence report. In an attempt to be accountable to the public, Fraser Health Authority's Board of Directors held a virtual meeting today. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, questions from the public were submitted ahead of time and pre-screened, leading some critics to question just how accountable and open the board really is. A crisis in care. Doctors complaining publicly. Patients outraged and the government making announcement after announcement trying to plug the holes with taxpayer money. But the board at Fraser Health spent Tuesday discussing other issues. A virtual meeting was held via Facebook where only pre-screened written questions were answered. The first question before we get to the uh, toxic drug questions is on uh, uh, something pretty basic, uh, the uh, provision of TVs in hospitals. Like other public bodies, with rare exceptions, health authorities are required by law to hold meetings in full public view. But since the start of the pandemic, Fraser Health has met virtually, with virtually no input from the public. Most of the decisions are made in camera, public accountability seemingly non-existent. Uh, you know, some stuff we can, stuff about real estate, stuff about finances, stuff about personal decisions, about people's health and all those questions you can't. 
But we have to, I think we have to continue to push that envelope to see what it is we can share. That lack of accountability is something the BC United Party says is unacceptable. People need to have the opportunity to engage, to understand why decisions are being made. And they have a right when it's in the public interest to be a part of those discussions or at least to be aware of the conversations that take place. The health minister continues to express his support for senior leadership in the Fraser Health Authority, saying public accountability comes in more forms than simply open public meetings. Despite weeks of meetings with frontline health care providers and new funding announcements, the board at Fraser Health has appeared to do very little to improve conditions at Surrey Memorial or elsewhere in the region. An actual board meeting was held Tuesday afternoon where some of those topics were discussed. None of that information was made public. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And Fraser Health is the largest regional health authority in the province. It employs nearly 45,000 staff and volunteers. It's responsible for 12 hospitals between Burnaby, White Rock and Hope. It also operates 81 long-term care homes as well as an outpatient care and surgery center. The parents of a 12-year-old Langley girl feel like their school let her down after she was the only student from her class not allowed to participate in a field trip to the water slides. The school said liability concerns were behind the decision, but as Kamal Kuramali reports, after Global News started asking questions, the district found a solution. Is it the water slides? For 12-year-old Sophia Burrell, a field trip to Cultus Lake Water Park was going to be a summer highlight. She's happiest in the water. Going swimming and water has always been a huge uh, light of her life. But when the preteen with disabilities, including visual impairment and autism, was told by the school district she wouldn't be able to attend because she has complex needs, the family was shattered. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of fighting for her every year. It's not something that anyone should ever have to do. I mean, she deserves better. This shortly after going on a field trip to Playland. They had actually um, made it that she could go and said that she would be participating in all field trips with her class. And this was just a few weeks ago. Sophia's parents say school staff and the school district told them that Sophia couldn't attend the field trip because it was a work safe issue, not elaborating much on what exactly that meant. Did no one check to see if it was inclusive for everybody in the class? Obviously not. So that is weak. When Global News started asking questions, the Langley School District somehow found a solution. All grade six and seven students will be going on this trip. But wouldn't share many details, except that there was a change in accommodations and staffing. We've been communicating with the family and we've been working with the family in developing a plan. But the family shared what they say is the only form of communication they've received. Two sentences in an email with little to no details. We now have a plan in place that will allow all students to attend this field trip on Thursday, including Sophia. For this family, though, the damage is already done. It's exhausting and it's, it's draining. It's, it's just it's disappointing, I guess. It, it, it feels very isolating. They say Sophia already feels excluded. Look at me, cheese. Now I hope other children with complex needs have a different experience. Kamal Karamali, Global News. 
Now a case that shocked the most hardened court watcher, foster parents charged with manslaughter and aggravated assault in the horrific abuse of two vulnerable children in their care. One child died and getting answers about how it could have happened from the Ministry of Children and Family Development is not easy. Kristen Robinson reports and a warning, there are disturbing details. A Chilliwack provincial court judge called their actions evil and inhumane. The husband and wife indigenous foster parents sentenced to 10 years in prison for manslaughter and six years for aggravated assault to be served at the same time in the horrendous treatment of two children in their care, one of whom died. The crimes committed in Lake Arok between 2020 and 2021. The judge said the children, also indigenous, starved and forced to eat dog food, tortured and subject to slapping, punching, kicking and whipping assaults. Days after an attack in late February 2021, the boy died. Why did these foster children fall through the cracks? Yeah, you're right. This is an absolute tragedy. And uh, my deepest apologies and sympathies um, go out to the family, the friends and the community. As the minister and as a social worker myself, I'm absolutely horrified. Mitzi Dean says it's clear the children were failed at every level. The evidence we heard in court indicated that the MCFD had not checked on these children for seven months. How is that possible? Well, this is a real tragedy and my deepest sympathies go out to the family, the friends and the community. The minister says the provincial director of child welfare conducted a thorough review of the MCFD's involvement with the foster children and found not all policies were followed at the HOPE office. What exact policies and procedures were not followed and why were they not followed? Well, this is a real tragedy and uh, my deepest sympathies go out to the family and the friends and the community. The ministry says changes were made, including actions to review all placement decisions for children placed outside their parental home to ensure care providers have been assessed appropriately. Review the thorough and timely completion of child protection incidents with involved staff and ensure they would also receive training about guardianship responsibilities, including regular meetings with children in care and ensuring children access appropriate medical care and support services. I take my role very seriously. I'm absolutely committed to making improvements in the delivery of services. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And the B.C. Ministry for Children and Family Development says as of the end of May, there were 3,137 children and youth living in care. There are just over 1,600 foster homes in the province. Victoria police are asking for some help identifying a suspect in a series of disturbing incidents last week. Take a look. Around 3.30 in the morning on June 14th, reports came in of a suspect hey. prowling in front of a residence and threatening people in the 2000 block of Chambers Street. Later that morning, police were called nearby to the 1000 block of Princess Avenue for reports of a similar man entering the window of a home. The suspect wasn't found in either case. He's described as around 35 years old, 5 feet 10 inches tall, with a slim build and short hair. Anyone with information is asked to call Victoria Police. The clock is ticking for the crew of a deep-sea submarine missing in the Atlantic Ocean. There is a full press, full court press effort uh, to get equipment on scene as quickly as we can. The desperate search for the vessel and what we're learning about the five people on board next on the News Hour.
Caught on video, a robbery suspect makes a run for the border. How it all ended later on the news hour. Plus, she wanted to show this bear that she was the boss. The fearless pig protecting her farmyard friends in Souk. Coming up a little later, but right now, still no sign of the Titanic tourist submersible missing off the coast of Newfoundland. An urgent search is underway with less than a two-day supply of oxygen remaining for the five people on board. Global's Mike Armstrong has more on the huge operation involving Canadian and American resources. These were the last photos taken of the Titan Sunday before it dove. It was launched from the vessel the Polar Prince. The team on that ship lost contact less than two hours into the dive. I'm nervous. I'm sick to my stomach with nerves. Janice Mickelson is a friend of one of the men believed to be missing, British billionaire and explorer Hamish Harding. There is hope, but there is also creeping pessimism. As it stands right now, it would be a miracle if they are recovered alive. It's just starting to dawn on me about what a tragedy this really is. Oceanographer David Gallo has worked on searches for missing planes and ships. He's with RMS Titanic, the company that owns the salvage rights to Titanic. But he's also close personal friends with another of the missing. French maritime expert Paul-Henri Narjolet is often called Mr. Titanic. He's had the most dives to Titanic, studied it the longest, and... Uh, one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. This is not a tourist um, operation. Now, Stockton Rush was piloting the Titan. He's the CEO of the company that runs the submarine trips, Ocean Gate Expeditions. Rush was often asked about safety. He would say, if you want to be safe, don't get out of bed. The other two men missing are from one of Pakistan's wealthiest families, Shehzada Daoud and his son Suleiman. Our crews are working around the clock. Now, the search is being led by the U.S. Coast Guard out of Boston. It includes a Canadian C-130 and a Canadian P-8 aircraft with underwater sonar capability. That's one of the challenges. Searchers have to look both on the surface and below the surface. Now, the timing of when the Titan stopped communicating may be a clue to what happened. One of the dangers of the dive was getting snagged on the Titanic wreck. But an hour and 45 minutes in, the Titan wouldn't yet have been close to the wreck. It would, however, have been under incredible amounts of pressure, making an implosion a possibility. They probably weren't at the bottom yet, which probably means it wasn't about being snagged. And, uh, you know, that leaves uh, an issue with the pressure hull, uh, which would be frightening. Now, one of the things Gallo says is that submarine has a shelf life. The pressurization and depressurization over and over takes a toll on it. There is something called cyclic fatigue, and basically any problem with the hull at that depth is a disaster. Mike Armstrong, Global News, St. John's. Up next, the end of a temporary housing complex. This site was always meant to be temporary. Is it a sign of progress or a setback? how it depends on who you ask. Also tonight, cyber scammers pull off a heartbreaking heist, how they tricked a grieving mother. Impending closure of a temporary modular housing complex is still upsetting to residents who always knew their time there would eventually have to end. Travis Prasad reports on their move to alternate accommodations and why critics say temporary housing for residents needs to become permanent. Since opening its doors in 2018, Larwell Place has brought a sense of security to some of the city's most vulnerable. 
It's nice not being homeless anymore. Um, it's, I've never lived anywhere longer than two years most, most of my life, so it's been nice. But that feeling of relief is now turning to anxiety. The 98 units of welfare and pension rate modular housing at Camby and Dunsmere will shut down at the end of July. It can be very stressful. It's, um, like I said, you build family connections, so it's, it's about losing that. It's also about the uncertainty. Nothing's, nothing's concrete. The lease is expiring. The city-owned land will be redeveloped, becoming home to the new Vancouver Art Gallery. Our homes! Our homes! They knew this day would come. Still, advocates call the closure a mistake, saying the city can't afford to lose any more supportive housing units. Until we get enough housing for every single homeless person, we can't go demolishing them and moving them away from where they're needed. The residence is operated by the nonprofit MPA Society and funded by BC Housing. This site was always meant to be temporary, and so we are moving people to uh, different housing opportunities throughout uh, Vancouver. Advocates confirm two-thirds of the residents here have already been relocated, some to other modular units. Because they're not uh, permanent in any way, this this problem, this, this matter will be ongoing, and maybe in another year people will be displaced again. And having that knowledge that this is not going to be a place where they can create a home indefinitely can be really harmful in terms of thinking through, uh, what am I going to do from here? The province previously committed to adding 330 supportive housing units for downtown Eastside residents by the end of June. It includes more temporary modular housing. As it stands, we don't see it, so, and that's a concern. Residents hoping these units can find a new spot in the city. I know BC Housing actually is in active conversations trying to find alternative locations for those because we know the need continues. Travis Prasad, Global News. It's been almost a year since police shot two people at an unincorporated campsite near Caramillos, killing one man and seriously injuring a woman. Since then, the campsite has been left abandoned, sparking concerns among neighbours. The woman has apparently not returned to the site and her condition and whereabouts are unknown. RCMP won't comment, saying the issue is still under investigation. Area residents say the bus had been an issue for two years prior to the police incident and they say it's time someone came in to clean it up. It was brought to my attention by the RCMP that someone had tried to burn the bus down. And by doing so, as we're coming to the warmer and drier season, this puts into danger the neighboring mobile home park because of the forest area around the bus. We don't have fire protection out here. We have our own fire protection within our community. Uh, that's a real environmental hazard, not only environmental, but it's a danger to 133 residents that live here. Residents say they've voiced their concerns to a number of government ministries and the RCMP since the incident, but it's not clear who's responsible for the area. RCMP and Prince George are investigating a violent home invasion that sent two people to hospital. Police were called to a home just after 8 p.m. Monday night and found a man and woman with severe injuries. The man's injuries are life-threatening. Investigators with our serious crime unit are now looking to speak with anyone in that neighborhood who may have surveillance or dash camera footage between 7.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. from the night in question. What we're looking for is anything that may have captured people or vehicles moving through the area. Any piece of information that we can uncover may help us move this investigation forward. A police pursuit that ended in a run for the border. Caught on video what we're learning about how this drama at the Peace Arch crossing unfolded. That's a little bit later. Also tonight, 
Stolen memories, how scammers took over her Facebook account. A high-speed chase that began in Bellingham ended in dramatic fashion near the Peace Arch border. It happened Sunday afternoon. Washington State Patrol says a white SUV stolen in Seattle was used as the getaway car in a robbery in Bellingham. While fleeing, the suspect struck a police car, then sped north up the I-5. The SUV was driven across the grass near the Peace Arch, then hit several vehicles. The suspect ran towards the border but was intercepted by Canadian Border Service agents and handed over to American officers. The 30-year-old is now facing a string of theft and assault charges. Hackers are hard at work stealing social media profiles. Tonight, another warning to be careful about who you really know and who you're actually talking to. As Global's Tomasia De Silva explains, one grieving mom found out the hard way. I lost my son five years ago. Five years ago this week. But while Janice Salnay's son Ty may be gone, he remains close to her heart. 40 years of treasured moments captured in person and online. My connection with him on Facebook is full of memories and pictures and all the important things to me that helped me heal. But three weeks ago, those memories, those photos were stolen. The BC mom was in Alberta when she got a message, supposedly from her other son. He'd gotten a new phone. He couldn't log in. Could she help and send him a login code? And I sent the code to the person to change my passwords. Within 15, 20 minutes, they had my account. I couldn't get back in. If a message comes inbound, assume the worst. Cybersecurity expert Jamie Hari says requests for codes are a top cyber scam right now tricking people into believing they're sending a random code when in fact it's their own. As for those who profess they can get any profile back for a price, beware. The idea of paying ransom as a whole is a concept that um, in the cybersecurity industry we generally make the blanket advice never pay. Hari says what you're actually doing is funding hackers with zero guarantees. Not only are, are you trusting a criminal with the honor system, but secondarily, it's possible that once they give you access again, they won't just do it again. To not hear anything. Janice Saulnier says she thought about it when she didn't hear back from Facebook, if only to get back her beloved Ty's messages. So I can't re-friend request him. He won't answer. These things can really cripple somebody's healing journey. The opposition B.C. Green Party has come to the defense of a private health clinic that's locked in a legal battle with the health authority. Seymour Health's City Centre Urgent Primary Care Centre in Vancouver is suing Coastal Health, claiming MSP has failed to live up to its promise to cover diagnostics at the clinic. As a result, the clinic claims it's losing more than $2 million a year. Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau and Deputy Leader Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi say the health ministry should be working with Seymour Health to reach an agreement ensuring continuing coverage for nearly 100,000 patients. Rather than meeting their obligations, the health authority has turned into a loan shark, one which also controls the purse strings. So this distorted power mismatch has now resulted in an aggressive, costly and unfair legal proceeding. The province offered to purchase the clinic, but that offer has been turned down. Just ahead, a voice from beyond the grave. No one in Camp River had ever seen or heard anything like it. 
how an 80s band from Campbell River resurrected its lead singer nearly a decade after he passed. And building back a fund to help Fraser Valley farmers fortify their properties against high water. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agency's group. 50 years of trust in your community. New measures are in place to help avoid a repeat of what's considered the worst agricultural disaster in BC history. Homes, businesses, crops and livestock were all lost in November 2021 when that atmospheric river swept in and caused massive flooding and a dike breach in the Fraser Valley. Damage was estimated at $2 billion. The provincial government is now offering a further $20 million in flood mitigation measures. Those include embankment stabilization, culvert improvements, and helping farmers raise the elevation of electrical equipment and feeding stations. By taking these increased steps to prepare for and mitigate future climate impacts, we'll be able to better protect the livelihoods of our food producers while strengthening our food security and economy. Individual farms will be eligible for up to 90% funding for flood preparation and mitigation projects up to $200,000. Thankfully, nothing like that in the forecast as we say goodbye to spring very quickly and welcome in summer. Christy's got the details in our forecast now. Thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, so officially tomorrow morning at 7.57 a.m., uh, it will be summer. Now, it's not really going to feel like summer. I've got the forecast for you uh, in a couple of seconds, uh, but we will get there, not to worry. Day length, though, that's always the best part about uh, summer solstice. 16 hours and 15 minutes and sunset, not until 9.21 p.m. You've got a long time to be able to enjoy your patio tomorrow. We are expecting, though, a pulse of rainfall across the southern interior, southern uh, Caribou region, and then touching down into Metro Vancouver with cloud and a chance of showers. But it is going to dissipate later in the day. We're expecting sunshine and a clearing trend for Metro Vancouver, but it won't happen until later in the day. But you'll get a little bit of sunshine for the evening hours. Still a risk of thunderstorms, though, in through the central interior Caribou region and the southern interior later in the afternoon and into the evening hours. So heads up when thunder roars, head indoors. But in the meantime, this is your first day of summer. Summer, everyone. Not first full day, I get it, but we transition in the morning, so it is actually summer. We are expecting cloud and showers in Vancouver Island. I'm expecting more sunshine for you in the afternoon, but it will take a little bit longer for that to push in through Metro Vancouver. So a little unsettled, but we'll catch a break late in the day, and certainly we've got plenty of summer-like weather on the way beyond that, all the way through the weekend, potentially, and into early next week. Tonight's Center Windows weather window coming to you from Trail BC, where Ronald Wilson captured this awesome Osprey coming in, obviously uh, a little one in the nest there and probably bringing him or her some food there. <laughs> Chris, back to you. Always impressive to see them fishing, no doubt about it. Thanks very much, Christy. All right, now a Campbell River band is getting back together to pay tribute to their late lead singer. The original Big Rock band started 40 years ago when they were all in high school. They went their separate ways, but in This Is BC Tonight, Jay Durant shows us how they brought their singer back for one final encore. 
More than 40 years later, they've got the high school band back together in memory of the late Hugh McGregor, who was the lead singer and driving force behind Big Rock. I, I would say he was a child prodigy, really. Like, no one in Canada River had ever seen or heard anything like it. So now he's on the in the early 80s, Big Rock was a touring cover band. The music industry was not interested in their original material. They'll never forget the response from one record label. Big Rock, I hear nothing big or rock about this music. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that'll take the wind out of your sails. <laughs> their musical journeys have taken them in different directions. Clayton Hill is the drummer for Trooper. But they're back together after all this time putting out their first album featuring Hugh's voice from a 1985 recording. It was taken off of a cassette tape, so it was kind of a bit garbled. It's all they have left of their friends since Hugh died suddenly in his sleep in 2014. I have goosebumps. Like I, I remember sitting there just getting it, just thinking about it now. They tweaked the track, re-recorded the music, and released the songs. All sales are going to support low-income residents at Lookout Society's Russell Housing Center, where Hugh was living. Hard to believe, you know, at such a young age. What song was Hugh most proud of? He liked Another Day in Some World because it was all about BC. This is in honor of a bandmate and great friend who always dreamed of one day releasing an album of original big rock songs. I think he would love it. I think he'd probably sitting with us right now just going, you know, thumbs up and... and Thanks, uh, guys. After all this time. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. What a tribute. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell, something unique to BC you want to share with the rest of us, just email Jay at... This is BC at globalnews.ca. Squire Barnes joins us now. With Sometimes you just need to get the old band back together. Yes, you do. Yep. Uh, that's going to be a good time for them. All right. So um, NHL teams who are looking for old school, big, tough defensemen in this year's draft are uh, looking at Fort St. James's Terrell Goldsmith, who is waiting to hear his name get called. I don't even know how to explain it. It's going to be pretty surreal, I think. It's been a long road in a short time from Fort St. James to Prince Albert in the Western League and soon the NHL. Look forward to that story. Also ahead. I just had a really creepy feeling that something wasn't right. The remarkable face-off between a pig and a bear and how barbecue the pig protected her barn. Okay, oh, hi. Discussing letters. Yes. From comments from viewers occasionally. Comments from viewers. Sometimes mm -hmm. not the most flattering thing in the world. <laughs> That's true. But you know, hey, we're big boys. We can take it. We can take it. Okay. So, the uh, Vancouver Whitecaps had that break after playing 11 games in 36 days. So, the break is over. Tomorrow they're in Colorado. Uh, they're not going to have Julian Gressel and Javane Brown. They're on international duty, and Russell Tybert is injured. But just the same, this is a chance, a good chance for Vancouver to win its first road game in a year. The Rapids are the worst team 
in Major League Soccer. And oddly enough, they haven't won a game, a league game, at home this season. The Caps are eighth in the West, but Vanny, looking very dapper today, I might add, thinks that is too low a placing for his side. I think we didn't harvest uh, uh, what we deserved to do it in terms of points. I think we should have like at least four or five points more. Uh, our performance at BC Place, our points at BC Place have been very good. We have to improve away and we have three games in a row to, I would say, try to make our at least our first win away and uh, I think we have everything in order to do it. One thing they might have for the Colorado game is Ali Ahmed who hasn't played for the Whitecaps since his concussion in a Canadian Championship semifinal against Pacific FC back on May 24th. But he says he's ready to go, but after the game against Colorado, he'll play for Canada at the Gold Cup. It's just a good feeling, you know. I missed it. It's been a long three weeks. You know, you miss a lot of things when it gets taken away from you. So uh, I've been eager, eager and anxious to get back out there and just train, even training. Uh, and can't wait for my first game, you know, ready to get back uh, uh, at it. Looks like Lionel Messi's first game for Inter-Miami will be on July 21st. It won't be an MLS game. It'll be part of a League Cup against Cruz Azul of Mexico. Miami is going to increase the number of seats at the stadium with Messi coming on board, 22,000 to 25,000. The Whitecaps do not play Messi and Miami this year. Well, in the entire history of hockey, we checked. We could only find four players born in Fort St. James that have ever played in the NHL. Brian Spencer, Brian Adams, not that Brian Adams, the hockey Brian Adams, the Playfair brothers, Larry and Jim. But defenseman Terrell Goldsmith will be close to adding to that list when he gets drafted by some NHL team later this month. It's fitting that a junior hockey player of Terrell Goldsmith's build is nicknamed the Big Rig. The six foot four inch, 225 pound Fort St. James product about to experience the thrill of his young life as Goldsmith's name is expected to be announced at some point during the upcoming NHL entry draft. Is it too much to say that uh, next week might be the biggest uh, week of your life? Yeah, it's definitely gonna be a pretty exciting time, you know, been a, been a dream of mine my whole life, I guess, you know, since I started playing hockey, so. Excited to see what happens. He'll bring it into the Edmonton zone. Goldsmith just finished skating in his third season for the WHL's Prince Albert Raiders. In 119 career games, he scored seven goals and eight assists. So the close to two dozen NHL teams who've expressed interest in the 18-year-old defenseman aren't looking at his offensive skill set. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He's actually a rare commodity. I mean, in, in today's game, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time uh, celebrating their skill and their ability to, uh, you know, make plays with the puck. And Terrell's one of those guys that uh, really understands what he is and knows that, uh, you know, his best identity is when uh, other players find him real hard to play against. I'm a different kind of defenseman in the draft, you know, hard to play against defensive, you know, yeah, physical defenseman, like you said, and make my first pass, I think, and be willing to do whatever it takes to win. and penalty kill and just compete, I think, is part of my game. So. You talked about the modern game now. Size is, is something that has never really gone away. It's always been part of the game. Um, but he's, he's definitely working on the elements that, that may limit his opportunity, which would, you know, would be the skating, which would be the, uh, sometimes the, the, the fine finesse plays with the puck. But quite honestly, I don't see those as limiting factors. The Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup with 19 Canadians on the roster and some considerable size on their blue line. 
they're one of the teams who think highly of Goldsmith. For a BC boy who grew up in Fort St. James and loved every bit of his small-town upbringing, that boyhood NHL dream appears to be within reach. What do you think it'll mean to the people of Fort St. James when they hear your name called at the draft? Hoping they're proud, you know, coming from there and, you know, still rocking the hometown pride, I think. So I'm hoping, you know, they're proud of me in that way. Jays couldn't score any runs in Miami last night, and they couldn't score any until the eighth tonight. But they did it with a pinch hitter. Ernie Clement doubling in another pinch hitter, Santiago Espinal, to give them a 1-0 lead, and that would stretch out to a 2-0 lead. So the Jays uh, avenge Miami, which beat them 11-0 last night. There we go. We needed the win. Okay, thanks, Squire. Just ahead, how Barbecue the Pig put a bear in its place. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, growing pressure tonight on a new Westminster school trustee to resign. Dee Beattie has taken medical leave after a local parent pieced together that she was behind a fake Twitter account used to troll community members with insults. While Beattie is on leave, she's still being paid by New Westminster taxpayers. Tonight, a school board meeting is taking place and several people, including that parent who exposed her, will call on Beattie to quit. Find out what happens at 11. Chris. Fascinating story. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, there are no medals for animal bravery, but if there was, a Vancouver Island pig named Barbecue would definitely qualify. She came snout to snout with a hungry bear, and let's just say it wasn't Barbie who backed down. Kylie Stanton has the story. Three goats, two sheep, chickens, ducks, four dogs, and seven cats. <laughs> but here at Rough Acres Hobby Farm, there's only one that rules the roost. Pigs are very territorial and they will do that, but she's very loving. She's very loving to me. Over the weekend, six-year-old Barbie Q proved once again pig-headed pays off. Dance? The hobby farm's owner, Crystal Walls, was on vacation in Oregon when she got a call from the house sitter saying there had been an issue in the animal pen. Came down around nine to feed the animals and they normally will meet me at the gate and there was no one meeting me at the gate and I just had a really creepy feeling. The fence had been torn down, a bag of feed destroyed, yet all of the animals were accounted for. Everybody was safe, yeah. And so they turned to the security cameras for clues. There's the bear right there. Watching what unfolds you might think when pigs fly, but bear with me. At around 4.30 Sunday morning, the animal enters the pen and a standoff of sorts ensues. The bear just approached her and she stayed in the same stance and he came too close and she told him to back off. It looks as if the bear is about to leave, but instead takes a seat. And he starts moving his paw around at her. As if to say, I come in peace. But Barbecue wasn't having it, instead rushing into the pen, signaling to the rest of the animals to stay back. Finally, after roughly 30 minutes, the bear saunters off. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty amazing to see old Babs protecting the barnyard. The video posted to Wall's Facebook page is now making the rounds. Many can't help but comment. Do you see what I see? Some pig. I can't believe how much attention she's gotten. So far, it doesn't seem to have gone to Barbecue's head. Good girl. But we can't say the same oh, for her stomach. Oh, Kylie Stanton, you. Global News, Souk. Full props to Kylie for, for 
digging deep into the, the pun well during that story, <laughs> that too. Was that was good. Very funny, very clever, and well She's done. She's always very good at that, but tonight was exceptional. Well done, the, Kylie. I'm with you. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so long spring. Hello, summer, Christy. It will take a little while for it to get here here in Metro Vancouver, but we officially transition tomorrow morning, 7.57 a.m. Uh, but yes, we do have a chance of showers with cloudy skies. It's not until late afternoon hours that we'll start to see that clearing. Beyond that, though, looking pretty nice. Even as we head into the weekend with a bit more cloud cover, it looks like temperatures will be above seasonal and it will definitely feel like summer. Don't forget, though, it will take just probably two days and we'll be right back into a high forest fire danger rating so uh, don't let it down your guard no doubt all right she won't see it because she's already on the way to the restaurant but happy 25th anniversary Janie thanks for having a short memory love you to bits have a good night everyone